Longhorn Nation, what's up, what's up, what's up? Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Did something a little bit different with Locked on Longhorns today. I actually joined the No Huddle Show podcast based out of the UK. Yes, my boy James Matthew Hill in London invited me on the podcast. We're buzzing about the Longhorns over here. They're buzzing about the Longhorns over there in the UK, and he wanted me to talk all things Texas football as they try to build excitement for college football over the pond as they say. So you're going to get into a really good conversation between me and James Matthew Hill on the No Huddle Show podcast based out of the UK. Make sure you're checking out our sponsors at betonline.net and rockauto.com. Betonline.net for all your sports gambling needs and rockauto.com for all your auto part needs. Let's get into that conversation with me and James. Longhorn Nation, as always, peace. Hello and welcome everyone to a new episode of the No Huddle podcast. So today's show is a little bit different to what we normally do. Um, we're going to be deep diving into the Texas Longhorns. But luckily for you guys, I have a I have a guest and it's my great pleasure to offer the expertise of Jonathan Davis. So how are you doing, Jonathan? You okay? I'm doing well. Jonathan Davis from Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm extremely blessed to be on the No Huddle podcast, the London based podcast but to be able to bring uh you know texas to the uk and talk about what this football team is going to be able to do this year yeah we've we've had a chat and we've kind of it's mind-blowing isn't it but just that easily you're in london and it's it's, it's, it's that easy like exactly like you know you're in london i'm in houston Uh, technology just makes the world smaller but before we get into this texas football i have to ask you how is like football perceived in the UK, college football especially, is it a big thing? Is it growing? And then what teams are like people even watching in the UK or like who do people root for in the UK? That's a great question. So I think the first thing I need to address is <clears throat> the NFL has grown massively. So in the 80s, there was a, a like a cult following and it's a little group of people that just stayed up till obviously two o'clock in the morning and watched it. Um, and only in the last decade or two, as you know, that we've got the London games now, and now there is they set out instantly. So there's a massive following for the NFL. Regarding the college football side of things, it, there is obviously some serious hardcore fans, and there is some NFL fans that dip their toes, but it's nowhere on the same level. Um, and I think it's simply because the NFL is a quite easy to follow in a sense that you know you win your division you're in the playoffs we've we've already done an episode on our podcast trying to explain how like obviously the fbs works and so many people over here just struggle to understand how there's only four playoff teams for 130 colleges and how that all breaks down so i think from a uk's perspective there's not really much advertising into the sport there's not much in like there's no one trying to teach you and I think you have to go out your way to find it. So it's almost like a little cult following. It's like the 80s following the NFL where there is the demand for it, but no one even after BT Sports is huge in the UK and they actually show a lot of the games, but they don't advertise it. So unless you know where to look for it, you just can't find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say over here, uh, a lot of us are confused as to why there's only four playoff teams as well. We're hoping that expands, <laughs> but I'm hoping that, you know, uh, they can watch this podcast and, you know, maybe this gives them, uh, you know, the foot in the door to root for UT. They say, you know, Jonathan Davis from Locked On Longhorns was on there. I'm going to check out uh, UT and, and Quinn Ewers and all of that jazz. But, I, you know, I'm ready to talk about the the, the Longhorns. I'm ready to talk about uh, that burnt orange and white, the 40 acres, what we got going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
just jumping on that quickly. I mean, if you're looking to jump on a team that you love offense, which let's face it, the NFL, college football, it doesn't matter where you're going, that is the most exciting part of the game. Um, and look, if, it doesn't get much better than Texas. So before we get into more going into this year, though, I just want to quickly round up last year. Um, obviously, it was Steve Sarkeesian's first year after being appointed. There was a lot of optimism, naturally, because he's done a fantastic job at Alabama, a great offensive mind. They was hoping he would change the culture. Um, and that's not an easy task, as we're going to get into. That's not always an easy task. And that's obviously not necessarily going to be done in one year. But you can tell for, from some of the pre-season polls that they, they were falling in the top 25, top 20 last year. And obviously, in hindsight, now you're looking back and going, maybe that was a little too optimistic, given what he had to face and what he had to turn around. Um, but there's, I just really, what, what's your feeling towards Steve Sarkeesian's first year? I mean, obviously, he came in, had a tricky situation. In some aspects, there were some good, point, good points, but obviously, overall, they finished five and seven. It was a bit underwhelming. But what, what did you take from year one of his, of his head coaching time at Texas so far? Yeah, it was disappointing. Um, when you look at it, Texas is just a team that shouldn't go five and seven. They're way too talented. Um, when you look at it, it was the longest losing streak Texas has had since the <clears> 1950s. Um, and, and so it was disappointing. You can't lose to Kansas. Uh, you can't lose in the fashion you did, losing to uh, Oklahoma. Uh, having a 25-point lead on them, having a lead on them going into the fourth quarter, having a lead on Baylor, the eventual Big 12 champions going into the fourth quarter, having a lead on Oklahoma State, the Big 12 champion runner-ups going into the fourth quarter. They just folded in so many second halves of the games. And then you talked about the culture as well. That's something that he wasn't able to build in his first year. But I think going into the second season, the energy around this football team is different. The culture around this football team is different. And I think they're ready to win uh, this year. So looking back last year, now, it was disappointing, even though Sark really hadn't put his footprint on the team yet, because you just have way too much talent at the University of Texas to go five and seven. And I've maintained that I don't think that this was a five and seven team last year. Like I said, when you have leads going into the fourth quarter on the three best teams in your conference and you lose all of them, that's just more so you folding than you not being able to win those games. I think this was an eight to nine win team that went out and went five and seven. I think this year is where you see, you know, the eight, nine, ten win, ten win team talent actually translate to that number of wins on paper as well you've already sold it to me but uh, <laughs> but i must admit that i mean even just looking back on the five and seven it could have so easily just been seven and five and even then i know there would have been some level of disappointment it just feels completely different if he comes in gets it to seven and five and you know there is that we've already seen the offense i think they finished in a lot of categories you know top 20 top 25 so we've already seen that he's built something and it was exciting to watch but the defense was ranked i think in total offense it was a hundredth overall and yeah. obviously there was there was weaknesses on a two or three areas to be fair um but i suppose going forward obviously when it comes to coming to the next level straight away my first worries were offensive line obviously hearing in the spring spring game i was had to tweak how they was going to do it simply because of not having enough depth for the offensive line position now in recruiting, I know you guys have got, I think, six very highly rated guys coming in in June, I believe it is. And, there, you know, there's a couple of guys there that they're really hoping just get just pick it up straight away and can hopefully maybe even start. Now, obviously, that to me sounds a bit concerning that you might be looking for one or two freshmen to really impact that line. Now, do you think that is generally the case or is it actually not as bad as it seems, but maybe one or two of them can push to start and hopefully bring the level up? Yeah, so they actually moved in uh, over the weekend. So they're they're officially on campus now, um, getting ready for, for summer camp um, or summer workouts, I should say. I think, honestly, I think you're going to see three new starters on this offensive line. And, and I did a podcast with our Locked On Sooners host, and I talked about 
that although I have all the faith in the world in this Texas football team, I'm picking us to win the Big 12. The three most important positions in football are the quarterback, the person who protects the quarterback, and the person who rushes the quarterback. And we're talking about the offensive line. And I honestly think we're going to have three new starters on that offensive line. I think you have Cole Hudson, uh, a freshman, the only one of the seven that they brought in in this 2022 class that was enrolled early. So he was there during the spring workouts, uh, was in the spring game, eventually worked himself up to first team reps. I think he gets to start at right guard. I think Devin Campbell, um, the number one offensive lineman in the nation in the 2022 class out of Arlington, Texas, interior guard. I think he gets that left guard spot. And then I think Kelvin Banks, the number one tackle in the 2022 class, I think he comes in and starts right away at left tackle. To answer your question, you don't really know if it's a concern or a plus at this point. You would assume that there's going to be a learning curve. They are true freshmen. You're, you know, expecting players that have never played on the college level to be huge impact players for you, you know, at right away, you know, in games against Alabama and in a season where Sark needs to win, where Texas needs to win. Um, But, you know, I've talked with John Garcia from Sports Illustrated, director of football recruiting, and he said if anybody has the pedigree to do it, a Devin Campbell does, a Kelvin Banks does, um, you know, a, a Cole Hudson does. Sark talked about Kelvin Banks saying that he sees him as a future top five pick in the league at left tackle. And so, it's one of those situations where, like I said, you don't want to have question marks at quarterback, but we do. We have talented quarterbacks. We just don't know who's going to start yet. I think it's going to be Quinn Ewers. Most people think it's going to be Quinn Ewers. You have question marks on the offensive line because you don't know who you're going to start, and that was a weakness last year. You did bring in really talented freshmen, but they're freshmen. And you have question marks on the defensive line in terms of your pass rush. You have good players, but you don't have a dominant player. You're not sure if that's going to be something you're consistently going to get. And so with the offensive line, it's a question mark going into the season, and you don't love that. But – when you're bringing in the most talented players in the country and from out of high school, typically they turn into the most talented players and the best players in the country in college football. And I think Texas is hoping that these offensive linemen can come in, learn really quickly, and be the reason, one of the reasons at least, that this team turns around in 2022. I mean, first thing, when I look at recruiting, which I'm, I'm from being from the UK, this is quite a new thing for me, but I, it's, I love it. I really, yeah, it's quite exciting. We touched on it. I mean, I am a Gators fan and... Um, to be honest, recruiting has not been something that they've even cared about. It felt like the last two or three years. So actually having a new direction this year has changed things for me. But it's great to see that the Longhorns, they saw what the weakness was and they went all in and got it because you can see so many colleges. That's the one position that you see everyone struggling to get, whether it's a transfer portal, or it's just everyone wants it. The fact the Longhorns went and got it and didn't just get one or two decent players. They, you know, they actually got a lot of the top talent. Yeah. I think that's a great sign going forward because if you can, like, you don't even have to have the best quarterback. If you can protect him, all of a sudden a good starting quarterback with some weapons can, you know, put light up the college football world. So the fact yeah. that you have got, let's face it, potentially one of the most gifted quarterbacks we're all anticipating in Quinn Ewers, if he is going to be, especially in the longer term, not necessarily this year, but the next year and the year after, that that's, can only be a good thing. And, and I think, to be fair, that's Sark. You know, he's got to be... Ex- you guys have also got to be excited to see that. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, when you talk about it, like you said, not just bringing in seven offensive linemen, six of them are blue chips. You know, you brought in six offensive linemen that are either five or four stars. That's crazy. And so that's going to be able to fortify your offensive line for the next couple of years. On top of the offensive linemen, you continuously bring in class after class. And I think that's very key um, for a Texas team that eventually in the next two to three years is going to be moving uh, to the SEC. You talked about Quinn Ewers, right? Um, and just the all-world talent. I think the highest grade, graded quarterback prospect since Vince Young. Uh, coincidentally, both of them are at the University of Texas. Texas is going for the clean sweep 
trying to get yeah. the third highest graded <laughs> prospect since Quinn Ewers and Vince Young and Arch Manning. Uh, and so hopefully he makes that decision. But um, yeah, I think you talked about it. I, I, I think that this offense, um, you know, what I, I've talked about on Locked On Longhorns, it said, I, I think that, you know, the offensive line, they're going to have some growing pains regardless, you know, especially if I think there's going to be three new starters. But I think Sark offensively can scheme up ways to protect this offensive line, um, you know, with quick passes. And you have so many weapons at running back, tight end, wide receiver, and then a weapon at quarterback himself. You talked about possibly the most talented quarterback, one of the most talented quarterbacks in college football. I think this offensive line will be better than it was last year, and I think that'll be good enough for this offense to shine and be one of the best offenses in college football this year, led by uh, Quinn Ewers, who I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more in depth. Yeah, I mean, you've you've literally read all my notes. It's like it's like I've actually sent this to you. But um, I do have the podcast. You know what I'm saying? I know how to. (laughs) I know you're all over this, but um, kind of off off the back of that, let's let's get onto the point because one of my questions was: I generally Hudson Card looked fairly solid in the spring game, and 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 there was some optimism kind of around that time that he might generally be challenging to for the starters job now. I'm sure he's got a chance, but what do you believe? Like I've read, I've obviously listened to a lot of different podcasts and a lot of people just think it's Quinn Ewers' job. And I'm sort of leaning that way. Like all I'm hearing is that I'm not hearing anyone beating him. So I just really wanted to, from your feeling and what you're hearing and reading and, you know, the feedback you are seeing, does it just seem like Quinn Ewers is the inevitable starter here? Definitely. Uh, I think at first, uh, Hudson Carr kind of had to step up because it was second year in the system. You know, Quinn Ewers is coming in and there's already all the talk about, oh, he forwent his senior year of high school to take a million dollars and go to Ohio mm. State. All he cares about is himself. Yeah, he's walking around that. with a mullet, who he thinks he is, you know, and all of this. And, I wish I could. Uh, he, he had to go to Ohio State and get humble, blah, blah, blah. Look, yeah. you know, I, I think at first, you know, Hudson Carr definitely had the advantage because he knew the playbook. He was more familiar with the concepts, what Sark was trying to do. And you got this you know, talented gunslinger that you throw in who's making all these wow plays, but he's still picking up the offense. And he's also throwing interceptions because he has all the faith in his arm. You know, I liken him to, um, you know, a Brett Favre, a, a, a Carson Wentz, a Josh Allen. And, I, and I'm not saying that he'll be any one of those players. He's different. But what, what I'm saying is just the confidence in the arm. You're going to make mistakes because you think you can make every throw. And I think we saw a lot of that in spring practice. I think as he started to settle down, as the game slowed down to him, he started to pick up the playbook. He started to really get comfortable um, in that Texas offense and, and really started to learn the playmakers and what Sark wants to do. I thought that he started to bridge that gap and get a little bit closer to Hudson Carr. There were still some things we were hearing that were troubling about Hudson Carr, um, just about his poise and, and him being able to remain calm in the pocket and deliver the ball. That's something that we still, uh, you know, were hearing that was an issue. And that's something we saw last year. A lot of fans described it as deer in headlights. And I think also, too, Quinn Ewers was making – the splash plays. He was making the special plays. Like you said, Hudson Card is good, but Quinn Ewers has the potential to be special. And I think as he continued to grasp the offense, you started to see more special and more special and more special. I did a podcast episode. I believe it was April 9th. I can't remember. I believe it was April 9th. I said it was after the first full scrimmage. Every report you could read, Quinn Ewers was the superstar of that scrimmage. He had four touchdown passes in that scrimmage. I think another rushing touchdown, he dominated. And I came out and I said, on April 9th, Quinn Ewers won the starting job. He hasn't been announced yet. I don't know when it'll be announced, but he won the starting job. But whatever the reason you think he's going to be the starter, some people think you don't bring in a quarterback like that to sit on the bench. Some people think, you know, he's more talented than Hudson Card. Some people think he's already been named the starter. You know, whatever it is, I think he ultimately just raises the ceiling on your football team. When you look at the dynamic quarterbacks in college football, when you look at, um, you know, a C.J. Stroud, when you look at, 
a Bryce Young. I think you're looking at that type of player in Quinn Ewers, a player that you can legitimately go out and say has a chance to win the Heisman and a player you can legitimately go out and say he has the chance to take this Texas football team back to the level that it was from, you know, the early 2000s to 2010, even before the early 2000s. And he has the chance, if anybody is going to bring Texas back into prominence and relevance, and if anybody is going to get us to a point to where we can say Texas is back, it's going to be Quinn Ewers and not Hudson Carr. And I think that's why he starts in the fall. That's a fair evaluation. And I think the one thing that I've, I mean, like you said before, the pocket presence and, and the issues in the pocket for Hudson Carr, given slight issue with the offensive line, that's where Ewers will yeah. probably stand out because he can, he's just so much more mobile, isn't he? Like you saw that just in the spring sessions and obviously the game, he just knows when to get out. He just looks like he can get out of trouble if it's there. And yeah, I mean, for me, on a bit of a neutral point of view, I obviously want Quinn Ewers to win it because obviously all we've heard for the past year or so is how potentially great he is. He's, yeah. he's just got a look about him, hasn't he? So for me, I, yeah. I obviously want him to start and I'll, yeah. I'll be honest, if you, even with yeah. if you want as much as I'm not, I'm, I'm not a Texas fan, fan necessarily i want i'd love to see it all just just all happen well, for you guys i, I, I think i think everybody wants to 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 see quinn yours and i appreciate that you know i i very much want to see texas on top as well i think all you need to know is the fact that he's never taken a collegiate snap he has not played yeah. a down for the texas longhorns yet and most websites have him top five in the hosma odds i think that tells you everything you need to know about what type of player he is and what type of impact he's going to have on this University of Texas football team over the next couple of years. Just touch on some of the transfer port. Obviously, Quinn Ewers is one of them. Um, as Isaiah yeah. Mayo has done, he's definitely stood out. He's got a lot of buzz about him. Obviously, he's a big guy from Wyoming. Um, yeah. Jaleel Billingsley seems like a smart move. Obviously, the you know once again, another massive target for that, for, for that offense. But Ajaya yeah. Hall was obviously the potential, you know, the extra bit you wouldn't have said you desperately needed, but it's like, why would you not? And obviously getting him to sign was amazing. But I have got a bit of a question because I, obviously what happened a couple of weeks ago with the whole Twitter thing. Has he, I know, I don't know if he's officially like committed or is he just like, he is going to still obviously be committed, but I'm just a bit confused by it. What's happening with Jaya Hall? Is he definitely staying yeah. going for like the Longhorns or? Yeah, so there was some confusion. Um, and then, you know, in this era of misinformation, <laughs> you could put out something and, and it can spread like wildfire. Yeah. So what happened was he had scrubbed all of his Texas stuff off his social media that led people to be concerned. And then once somebody put out a report saying that he had been removed from the Texas football roster, he had not even enrolled yet or been on campus. So he was never <laughs> on the Texas football roster, but an Alabama fan decided to go look at the roster and said that Jai Hall wasn't on there. It spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Now everybody thinks that he's not coming to the university of Texas. Um, and then Sark came out and said that he was part of the reason that he just scrubbed everything off his social media. Um, he is locked into the University of Texas. And you talked about the transfer portal. You know, you got the, the NIL beef, you know, everybody's talking about <laughs> tampering. And we saw the Jordan Addison stuff where we knew he was going to USC before he even entered the transfer portal. So clearly that's yeah. going on. Um, but quietly, Sark has kind of sat in the weeds and dominated in the transfer portal. I mean, you talk about Quinn Ewers. If he's one of the highest college graded quarterbacks of all time, if you get him in the transfer portal, that's obviously a win right there, even if you don't bring in anybody else. But you talk about Isaiah Nair, Big receiver, 6'2", 210, 878 yards and 12 touchdowns last year in an offense that only threw the ball 35% of the time. Obviously, Texas is going to throw the ball a little bit more than that. He has a lot more opportunities to dominate on the outside, outside of Xavier Worthy. You talked about bringing in um, Jaleel Billingsley, who has real first-round talent potential at that tight end position. Smaller, 6'4", 216, 
um, but what kind of that modern tight end, somebody that can just get open and make plays on all areas of the field. Um, I think they're really looking for him to have a big impact. Ryan Watts, big corner, long corner, 6'3", um, really going to give some people uh, problems on the defensive backfield. And I think he really shored up that cornerback spot. Um, you're not used to going against a corner that's 6'3", and has long arms, can really press you at the line of scrimmage, uh, put his hands on you and kind of slow you down. And so I think that's a big get. Um, and then some of the recent ones, um, you know, you have Tucker Dorsey, uh, Diamante yeah. Tucker Dorsey, the linebacker out of James Madison, who was just a freak uh, last year, uh, 116 tackles. I think he had nine tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, four interceptions, two forced fumbles, just a do-it-all playmaker. And I think he really comes in and adds some depth to a Texas team that doesn't have a lot of depth at that position or really front heavy. Um, and then you look at Tariq Milton, who I think was a really sneaky good pickup um, from Sark. You know, you tried to get Jordan Addison, you have to go. For Jordan Addison, especially the, given the connection between Brennan Marion and Jordan Addison at Pitt last year when Jordan Addison won the Belitnikoff. But you bring in a Tariq Milton um, from Iowa State who has a lot of playing experience in the slide. And outside of Jordan Whittington, who has been hurt every year at the 40 Acres, Tariq Milton has the most experience in-game in the slot. And so you have somebody who can come in and has that experience in the Big 12 in the slot and is a, a, a you know talented playmaker if Jordan Whittington goes down. But if not, then you just have depth. Um, and a really good playmaker with five years of college experience. So I think that Sark has done a masterful job in the transfer portal and with the addition of the number five recruiting class in the country, plus what he's been able to do in the transfer portal. I think that's why this Texas team is poised for success. So Sark quietly dominating in the transfer portal while everybody is making such a big fuss of it, talking about how it's ruining college football. Sark is using it to benefit the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, and I think you're right. The, the, the thing for me, the, the couple of guys more recently signed as well, they're kind of a bit under the radar, but it's, they're, they're fulfilling needs where it adds depth, but also they can kind of come in as a solid starter, you know, and, and they want to prove themselves at that next level. And that's it's been proven in the past how important that's been to teams. So yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I think if Diamante Tucker-Dorsey and <clears throat> uh, Tariq Milton are, are starting day one on your football team, that's a really good football team. I think those are really good players. And just to have them as depth, rotational players, whatever it is, um, I starts really cooking in the transfer portal for sure. I, I think Diamante Tucker Dorsey is going to have a big role, though. I think we have a big need at linebacker. And, you know, I just read off the stats. And like I said, you know, I'll do it again. 116 tackles, nine tackles for loss, two sacks, two forced fumbles, four interceptions. He can make plays all over the field. He's uh, definitely about dominated. Texas defense. Yeah, you talk about a Texas defense uh, that was ranked 100th last year. You need playmakers like that. And that was a huge get. Yeah, and obviously the, the other thing I want to touch on before we kind of move on to another subject is Gary Patterson, obviously, has come over and you know he's let's face it his former head coach of TCU he's got lots of knowledge so he's going to bring another level of whether it whether it's needed or necessary or not advice and he's already been heavily in recruiting I believe he's been involved in that too so obviously for me the defensive side just it just didn't seem like it was on the right page last year obviously it was year one of the you know the coaching scheme and and sometimes it just takes a year or two so for me even with the majority of players you guys had i would imagine there would be a bit of improvement but the fact that you guys have gone and addressed a couple of the major needs and obviously got another recruiting class in are you fairly confident that they're going to you know not necessarily move into being a top 30 top 40 defense but it could be okay and that's let's face it with the offense you potentially have that would probably be more than enough to be challenges for the playoffs yeah. for instance. yeah i yeah exactly you talked about it like this defense just has to be good enough right to supplement the offense um i think when you look at it you know so much is talked about the offensive line class that was brought in because of the level of blue chips but they brought in seven offensive linemen they brought in eight defensive linemen um, and, and i think you're gonna have some defensive linemen um that are have to gonna come in and contribute right away but i think they have the pedigree to do so i think anything 
on the defensive side, it's hard to do without a pass rush. And it starts with a pass rush. And honestly, um, you know, like I said, I, I've been sipping the Kool-Aid, not chugging it. I am concerned about the pass rush. Uh, we lost out on Oshawn Mathis. I think that was a huge target uh, for Texas in the transfer portal. Somebody who has had eight sacks in a season, had four sacks last year. But somebody who has a, a real NFL build and NFL talent at that edge rusher position, somebody that probably would have came in and, and become your best edge rusher. But we have some young, talented players that we think will be able to take the next step forward and hopefully the pass rush will be good. I think we have some really talented players on the interior um, that we're just waiting to see them put together a full season, right? I think that's yeah. it's that consistency. And you talked about, you know, coming into a new year with a new defensive coordinator. Texas has had a new defensive system the last three years. That'll be the first time in four years that Texas has had the same defensive system two years in a row. And so naturally, you're going to see that improvement. You talked about it linebacker. You add a playmaker like Diamante Tucker-Dorsey. I think Jalen Ford kind of sat back last year came in and spot plays i think he's a really explosive playmaker you know given that starting role this year i think he's going to be better you know what you have in agent zero at linebacker i think he's going to be better as he continues to get more comfortable uh, making that transition from safety um you know as long as he's a little bit better a little more stout in the run game i think that's going to help texas a lot and then i think the defensive backfield is where we've improved the most um i talked about bringing in ryan watts um, you know, 6'3 corner, transfer from Ohio State. But then you bring in a Terrence Brooks, who was, I think, the 82nd overall prospect in the country. Um, a really good four-star cornerback who's come in and looked really good. Um, you had Jalen Gilbo, um, who hopefully he'll make his way back to the team. He did have some things going on, but he looked really good in the spring uh, before, you know, ultimately he was suspended from team activities. You got Deshaun Jameson, who's looking to, you know, bounce back and have a really good year, but he's an explosive playmaker. I think he had three or four pick sixes in spring ball alone. Um, and then, you know, you have Ryan Watts on the other side of him. You have Anthony Cook um, and Keaton Crawford, um, who are two really talented playmakers at the safety positions, both playing safety really for the first time in this type of role. So you have to see what you're going to get from them. You don't know, but definitely um, have the playmaking skills and instincts to be really talented playmakers at that safety position. Um, and, you know, you can't have it's hard to have a great defense without good erasers and good safeties on the back end. So um, it remains to be seen what we're going to see from this Texas defense, really the team period, because there's so many moving parts, so much difference from last year. Sark came out and said we're going to have 30 new football players and he brought in almost 40. Right. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of difference to see. Um, yeah. But like you said, just, you know, second year in the system, bringing in some talented playmakers, bringing over Gary Patterson, you have to believe. Uh, that this Texas defense will be a lot more stout than it was last year. Yeah, that definitely. And just from just from hearing your like what you just said there, instantly it just sounds like there's much more depth. And you know, if there's a couple of guys that don't work out, there's going to be someone who's probably more than capable to step up. And I think that's been some of the issues in the past. And obviously, some of the issues with Texas in the past is obviously getting this top the top talent and. Uh, you know coaching it up to being what it should be really but yeah development we've we've had the exactly players it. but it's the development yeah for but sure. you, i mean i i, I believe in the, in the sark coaching team and then you've just got to hope so i mean obviously this year is a big year like uh, we're going to touch on this in a bit when we get to the recruiting part because i, I just want to quickly touch on something like there but like for me it's, it's not like sark's on a hot seat of course he's not but if you go five and seven again that that's just that yeah i mean i can't imagine what texas fans will do with that <laughs> yeah i mean five i five and seven is unacceptable i've said anything even eight and four is like uh you yeah. know to me but i that's that's the floor for me honestly that's the I progress mean, at least that's, there's that's progress the, to build on. the floor i mean when, when you talk about it and, and we've talked so much about the new players we don't talk about the returning you know yeah. <laughs> you know first team all big 12 freshman all-american receiver in xavier worthy yeah. you know what i mean we don't talk about Bijan Robinson, the best running back in the country. You yeah. know, we talk about Quinn Ewers and all of that. So it's like, if you have that, 
you have to win eight games. You know, you just have to win and five and seven. And I don't, I don't even want to hear that again. Anything under eight and four <laughs> is is just nah. It's unacceptable. You know, and I don't know. I don't know if Sark can do anything to get fired after this year. Uh, the five and seven would be pushing yeah, it. Man. Man. <laughs> the, the seat gonna be hotter than hell. At five <laughs> I seven, tell you, I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I was going to say it's the end, but I think the best way to round it up is just wrapping up, the obviously, the Big 12 this season. Now, the best thing, there's so much uncertainty in the Big 12, and I got drawn to it last year. So last year, trying to develop myself when it comes to the college game, I started to have a little side project. So I started following a different team. So I did the UCF Knights two years ago so I could get an understanding of the group of five and get a better understanding of it all. Absolutely loved it. It was great to just see a different perspective than just the Power 5 team. Last year, I went for Iowa State just simply because of Brees Hall. I'll be honest, he was one of my favourite players in the whole college. But I, I liked what they was bringing and I thought they had great potential, to be fair. But what I fell in love with was the Big 12. And and the com- like the competition level, with the exclusion of Kansas, it's just you, well, anyone you can say, beat anyone. You can't say that to me because Kansas beat us. So you can't say that to me. <laughs> well, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But this is what I love about it. And, they, you know, mm. you do get that in the other conferences. But I feel like when it's good, it's good. And this mm. year, if any year... The Big 12, obviously, Oakland as soon as you've got a first-time head coach. You've got bundles of experience, but he's a first-time head coach. You can't get away from it. They've just lost their quarterback. They've lost their receiver. They've got a great transfer portal backing them up. But there's just so much uncertainty. The same with you guys. You know, we can talk about Xavier Worthy, one of my favorite receivers in the league. But Bijan Robinson, same. He's now my Brees Hall. Like, I love him to death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got loads of talent, but then we've got the Quinn Ewers factor. We've got, you know, we've still got the question marks on defense. It all comes together. You're a 10-win plus team, and, you know, who knows? And it's the same with Oklahoma to a certain extent. But you've got the issue of Baylor. Baylor and Oklahoma State, both in the championship game last year, both were fantastic, especially defensively, lost a lot of pieces. Now, Baylor have kept majority of their offensive line and defensive line, which is definitely a key ingredient to keeping some level of success, but losing the talent they lost to the NFL. I'm certainly a bit more edgy on Baylor. And I, I think Gundy is a great coach. and I think he'll keep Oklahoma State in that top 25 mix, but I find it hard to say that they're better than the potential of you and Oklahoma. But the mm-hmm. thing is, it's so wide open that I just find it fascinating. But first question for you, I know the bookies have got Texas at over under eight and a half wins. Now, I don't think I need to ask you. It's a definite over. For you, that's got to be right, yeah? <laughs> so I think that we're a 9-10 win football team. If you're asking me to put my money on it, I'm not necessarily sure because you do have likely the loss to Alabama. Now, I still got, yeah. what, about three months to drink a little bit more Kool-Aid. <laughs> and by the time that week comes, I might come on here and say we win in my 30. But it's just, it's just tough when it's like, okay, I have to factor in a guaranteed loss almost to Alabama. But – Hey man, we unlocked on Longhorns. Take the over eight and a half wins. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think you made it, such so. a, a good point. All right, there you go. But you made <laughs> such a good point. Like I think the Big Twelve might be the only conference this year where you have four legitimate title contenders. Right? You have Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. I don't think you can say that in any other conference where there's four teams where you would not be surprised at all if they won the championship. And then you have some sleeper teams who probably aren't going to win the Big Twelve, but definitely. Um, probably will get an upset throughout the season in a Kansas State or a West Virginia, you know, and so yeah. um, maybe even a Texas Tech. So um, I definitely think that the Big 12 is wide open this year. Our sponsors, Bet Online, uh, they had all four of the top teams at eight and a half wins. I think that shows how wide open this conference this year is. But I think that also 
explains why this needs to be the year for Texas to take it because Oklahoma isn't the usual favorite that they are. I think they've been given the benefit of the doubt. And you talked about Oklahoma State and Baylor who were in the Big 12 title games but have lost so much. You question if they'll be able to come back and do it again. And so Texas, with the talent they have, the overwhelming, overwhelming talent at skill positions they have compared to the other teams in the Big 12 and a hopefully improved defense should be the reason uh, that they're able to get back on top in the conference. Yeah, I feel like this is the opportunity. For instance, Baylor are trying to build something. This could be an opportunity because of the uncertainty. But for me, this is it's Texas. If Texas do what they should do, even if it's a bit of an edgy, like there's a, a slip up somewhere, they should still be making the championship game for me. Mm-hmm. So that was my other question. What? Who is the two teams that are going to make the championship game? Now, obviously, I know I, one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I, I say Texas and Oklahoma. I think Texas and Oklahoma ends up in the Big 12 a championship. I think we rematch uh, the Red River rivalry. I've already said on October 8th. First of all, I, if y'all listening in London, October 8th, you make sure you tapped into college football. Not yeah. only do you get Texas, Oklahoma, you get Texas A&M. Alabama. So make sure October 8th, whatever y'all doing in London, y'all watching college football. But um, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12. I've already said that we're going to beat them on October 8th in the River rivalry. So I guess we're beating them twice next year. But I think those are the, the two teams that are going to be in the Big 12 championship. I think those are the two best teams in the Big 12. And uh, let's face it, from a neutral point of view, that's that would be the dream scenario. Um, maybe not necessarily for the Big 12 going forward. Oh, definitely not. They would hate it, right? The, the two teams that are headed to the SEC are playing for the Big 12 championship. That happened in baseball. Uh, Oklahoma beat Texas, but the two teams that played for the Big 12 championship were Texas and Oklahoma. So, yeah, yeah. they would definitely be steaming on the inside a little bit if that happened. <laughs> Talking about the SEC, just filter straight into that. Um Obviously, that was the storyline of last year, the offseason. Obviously, all we heard about was that because it was kept under wraps and it seemed like it caught everyone off guard and it needed to, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. But I'm just sort of curious, like, from a media standpoint and obviously the fans, when the news came out, what was the initial reaction? Obviously, there's there's obviously positives to it, but is everyone just really happy with it or were they a bit concerned or just surprised? I think I think Texas fans are excited. I think you have, of course, the running joke from non-Texas fans of y'all can't even beat Kansas, which I think y'all going to do in the SEC and, and yeah. stuff like that. But I think you just look at the opportunity, right? You're on the biggest stage um, with the best teams in college football. We saw this year with 65 players drafted from the SEC. They're the class of college football right now. And, you know, you have that advantage in recruiting saying we're in the SEC. You get the more primetime matchups. I mean, think about it as a fan. You go from – and these aren't bad matchups, but you go from playing – you know, West Virginia, Kansas State, and Kansas to, you know, maybe LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Arkansas in a season, you know, in one season. So um, I think Texas fans are definitely excited. They're ready. Um, And I think they're excited about the direction of this football team headed into the SEC. But I think John Garcia um, made a good point, once again, director of football recruiting at Sports Illustrated, where he said, you know, Texas has the allure and Texas will be able to come into the SEC and they'll be able to gain some traction. But if they don't win, they could turn into Mizzou. You know, we saw Mizzou dominating in the Big 12. They went to the SEC and they haven't done anything since. And now they're just another team in the SEC. I think the SEC has so many top-tier, you know, blue-chip teams, blue-blood teams, that I think if, you know, Texas doesn't go in there and win, then, you know, I think Texas is just going to be another team in the SEC. So I think it's about going to the SEC, but also making sure you're winning in one of the top teams to be able to benefit from having the backing of the Southeastern Conference as opposed to the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Texas A&M part comes into it as well, which is, you know, 
fascinating one they'll be running away from playing you guys but secondly yeah the fact that the recruiting side of it like you say if you go in there and spend a couple of years struggling that's just going to boost their recruiting it's still what's obviously let's say boost their recruiting they're apparently doing that with name image and likeness anyway but yeah but they're, not, they're having any they're not having any issues down there with recruiting <laughs> no but any chance seven, if you guys that would be even harder five star, yeah, you bring in seven eight five stars in, in one class you know what you're doing <laughs> yeah totally um and just so moving on to like the recruiting side. So obviously the 2023 class, I f- believe you've already got four four star uh, four star commitments. Um, yeah. And I know there's a ton of obviously other top top like talents that have got visits coming up. And obviously th- it feels like this class isn't maybe committing as early as previous classes, but partly mm-hmm. because everyone's now back to being able to do visits again, and they're making the most of it and, and taking their time, which is fair. But just how is your feeling? Obviously a very good class last year. Is it feel like there's a lot of more obviously big talent coming in um, that you've got a good chance winning? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of players, really talented players, um, you know, that you're looking at. I don't know if you're going to be able to bring in, you know, the top tier talent. Now, of course, all of that changes with Arch Manning. Um, yeah. But I, I think that last year's class um, at the positions that you needed may have been a little bit more top heavy. Um, especially at those, you know, kind of, uh, you know, edge positions, defensive line positions, and then the offensive line. I think this class, you're looking to bring in some really good players, but it all starts and ends with Arch Manning. I think we've been able to bring in some commitments, but, you know, typically when you see a quarterback commit, that's when, you know, the the rest of them, you know, start to roll. And I think a lot of people, one, you know, Texas is in an interesting position because, you know, we could talk all day about what they look like right now on paper. At the end of the day, last time we saw them on the field, I mean, they were beating Kansas State, but before that, they were losing six games in a row. And so, like Arch Manning, a lot of these prospects want to see not only where Arch Manning ends up, because I think if Arch Manning ends up there, then you start to see a lot of dominoes. Okay, I want to go play with Arch. I want to go play with Arch. I want to go play with Arch. But outside of that, Arch Manning and these other prospects are also looking like, okay, I could go to Ohio State, who I know is going to win 10 games. I can go to Alabama, who I know is going to win 10 games. I can go to... Georgia, who I know is going to win 10 games. I can go to Texas A&M, who won eight games, you know, and maybe on the rise with the type of classes they're bringing in. I need to see Texas do more than five and seven. I need to see Texas maybe in those first couple of weeks and see what they're going to do to be confident that I want to go there and be at this school for the next three to four years. So I think that Texas is in an interesting position with this 2023 recruiting class because right now they're kind of waiting on Arch Manning's decision for the rest of the dominoes to fall. And, you you know, if Arch Manning doesn't commit to the University of Texas, then you kind of got to go in and pick up the pieces behind him. I think they'll have a still really good class regardless. But like I said, the the depth and the talent of this class really solely depends on if they get Arch Manning at the top. And I think the rest of that falls in after. And then two, I think you have to prove to a lot of recruits that this isn't the same old Texas. This isn't the highly touted team that we talk about all season and then all off season and then they go five and seven. And so I think they're in a really interesting spot right now with the 2023 recruiting class because there's a lot of wait and see whether it's on Arch Manning's decision or what Texas will look like on the field this season. That's a valid point as well because let's face it there's probably going to be no rush for Arch Manning either. He's in full destiny, like control and destiny of what he's going to do and if he does leave it quite late and then doesn't choose and then those dominoes might have already gone that's you know some of the other options that might have followed might have already gone right I found somewhere else so it's very it's, it's just it's critical but then my next question with it because we had a bit of a debate on it on one of our previous episodes, but with Arch Manning, obviously, potentially, I, I think you're probably favourites at this stage. I mean, it sounds like really it's between you and Georgia. I mean, Alabama has still got an official visit. There's still a couple of, you know, other t- teams that are, have a slim chance, I guess, but it sounds like it's between you and Georgia. Now, if he does choose Texas, I'm fascinated, but what does that do to Quinn Ewers? Like, 
I know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you could have two of the two top talents both on the yeah. same roster. So I, I think I think it actually fits in perfectly. Now, a lot of Texas fans, they've really ingratiated themselves with Malik Murphy, uh, the four-star quarterback um, out of the class, you know, incoming class from the 2022 class. And they think, you know, and it's maybe, you know, anytime somebody gets so much hype, people got to start to tear them down. So I feel like a lot of it came from, well, we don't need Arch Manning. You know, he all that hype. We got Malik Murphy. Like, it's Arch Manning, bro. You know, come on, Alex, <laughs> it's, it's Arch Manning. Right? So I think that you it sets up perfectly, excluding Malik Murphy, where you have Quinn Ewers who can start this season. And next season, you could redshirt Arch Manning if you want to. And then I think Quinn Ewers, who likely is going to be drafted, right? We think he has that type of talent. He's going to start at the University of Texas for the next two years. And then I think Arch comes in as a redshirt freshman and starts two years before he heads to the league. So I think the next four years could look like Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning, Arch Manning. I think that's the dream scenario for the University of Texas, Sark and Texas fans. It's just not fair. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Really, that I mean, to be honest, that wraps up most of my questions heading into it. I mean, I, I'm very optimistic. I, I'm looking forward to following the Big 12 as a whole, but um, it, I'll be honest, the Longhorns and Oklahoma are definitely the two that I'm really looking forward to seeing because I am a bit of a fan of Dylan Gabriel, just, just probably because of my UCF nights two two years yeah, ago. But you're, you're binge watching. <laughs> I am going to be binge watching. Big 12 has already become like my go-to this year. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm hooked on it or hook them. Um, yeah. So I, I really appreciate obviously running through that and I have no doubt but you know, people over, especially in the UK, that don't have this access, will you know? I think you might have won over some fans. I'll be honest. I um, hope. I hope I've gained at least one person in the UK that wants <laughs> to follow the Texas Longhorns. Like I said, we got Quinn Ewers with the mullet. We will win the Big Twelve <laughs> this year. We got the best offense in college football. If it's not the best right now, it will be by the best by the end of the season. We got one of the best brands. The defense will be better. Please, if you're in the UK, you're looking for a team to support. Follow. The Longhorns, Texas Longhorns, and of course, follow me, Jonathan Davis, at Lockdown Longhorns, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. But I really enjoyed this. I appreciate being able to be brought on on the No Huddle Podcast. And I hope we can do this a couple more times before the season and during the season, man. I, I hope I can become a regular on here for sure. Oh, anytime. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I have to say, I list, I've listened to a lot on Longhorns. I've listened to quite a lot of your podcasts. And I even listened to the one with Justice um, uh, Finkley when you had that on, uh, had him on, which I thought was great. I honestly thought it was great. I, I talked about those those uh, four-star freshman defensive linemen that have to it's come in right away and, and contribute. Justice Finkley, remember that name for sure. Yeah, no, and it was great to get that insight as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Follow Jonathan. Make sure if you're a Texas fan or even interested, follow the Locked On Longhorns and also Locked On Big 12. You pop up on that a lot. And I I think Big you 12. guys are brilliant. You guys are brilliant because you have good banter. You're, you're all passionate about your teams, but you all kind of support each other at the same time. It's not like you just go at each other. So, yeah, honestly, check it all out. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I told my Locked On Sooners host, uh, you know, we, we did a collab episode the other day. I'm like, we're teammates, you know, and so this is going to be a little bit more friendly than they are on the field. But yeah, you mentioned Locked On Big 12, Josh Neighbors, uh, one of the best in the business. Um, he does a really good job of engaging all of the Big 12 hosts with each of our shows and, and bringing us on and letting us talk different topics. Um, but yeah, you just talked about the Locked On Podcast Network in general. Um, just one of the best things in the business right now. If you're not following us yet, you're late, but you need to get on it. Um, future superstars, every show, every episode, every host. You know what I mean? We're the future. <laughs> It's hard to argue, especially the Big 12. That's most of my experience. But yeah, I honestly, I've really appreciated your time, Jonathan. And um, let's go Longhorns. Hook them. Yes, sir. Hook them. <laughs> Take care.